Let's pray. Heavenly Father, remind us of our passion for Jesus. Amen. Save yourself, the passers-by yelled at Jesus. Then they threw him a bone, thinking they had him. You know what? If you save yourself, we will believe in you. Uh, how's that supposed to work? I don't remember the movie. I just remember, you know, someone yelling at the hero, for God's sake, save yourself. The line had nothing to do with God. And just like Jesus, by the way, if the hero had saved himself, everyone else would have been lost. Whether those passers-by 2,000 years ago thought it was unfair that Jesus had been wrongfully convicted and crucified and should save himself if he has the ability, or whether they were just having a little joke at Jesus' expense, we'll never know. But we can be thankful that Jesus didn't take them up on their offer. So would you save yourself if you could? If God created option B, like give a million dollars to your church, say the Lord's Prayer 10,000 times while you're walking up and down the stairs at the International Center, fold a thousand paper grains, and you can skip the line and go straight to heaven. But it's a limited time offer and only good for one person. Would you do it? And if you said yes, what do you think it would be saying to your friends and family and everybody else around you? Until the 1960s and Vatican II, Passion Sunday was the fifth Sunday in Lent, and Palm Sunday was the sixth Sunday in Lent. And the Pope did a mashup, created Passion Palm Sunday on the sixth Sunday in Lent, and for reasons that escaped me, the Lutherans and Anglicans followed along. Now, the official stated person was, uh, purpose was far too many people were skipping Passion Sunday and just showing up for the parade and the palm branch waving, and then skipping Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday and showing up on Easter to eat all the eggs and the chocolate Easter bunnies that they could. Skipping Lent and Holy Week allowed them to avoid any bad feelings about themselves as they had to look at Jesus dying on the cross. It also, as a bonus, by the way, they didn't have to be embarrassed that Jesus, the King of creation, the Lord of Lords, got, well, nailed to a cross between two thieves. Yep, the last time they saw Jesus, he was leading a parade. And who doesn't love a good parade? He's all glowy and resurrected now, so it really doesn't get easier for them. Now, I understand the tension between the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. Lutherans are theology of the cross people. And yet sometimes I admit we do take it a little too far. See, if you know your theology, if you understand the suffering in the cross and why they were necessary then you can take up your cross and follow Jesus because Jesus also promised, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the theology of the cross, the necessity of it, but also the fact that we don't go alone. But in an age where almost everyone has access to a Bible, we are also suffering from the greatest amount of biblical illiteracy of all time. To understand Jesus, why he did what he did, and why what he did actually matters, you need to study the Gospels for yourself. Follow the little verse markers that show you how this verse in Matthew connects to that verse in Isaiah, which connects you to this verse in the Psalms and to that verse in the book of Romans, and it bounces you all around, but it shows you how all of this connects from Genesis to Revelation. Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter are not four distinct events in the church calendar. They're just one. They go back to the Garden of Eden where God promises a Savior. They intertwine with all the other stories, all the other moments, all the other characters. 
They are centric. They are the center of all things. The rest of the Bible, in fact, the rest of all history, spiraling out from them. See, we always assume a story is read by starting at the beginning and then, well, just kind of, you know, trudging chapter by chapter until you get to the end. But that's not the way the gospel story is told. We start at the cross. Jesus, bloody and beaten body, hanging there. Soldiers beneath him, crowds around him, his mom and her friends, and one disciple watching in horror. Herod, Pilate, Pharisees, and Sadducees suddenly vanishing into the dark because their evil work is done. Simon of Cyrene and his two boys, Rufus and Alexander, help carry Jesus' cross to the final steps. And one centurion, played by John Wayne in the movie, he gets a speaking part at the end. This is where our Christian journey must begin as we're dropped into the middle of this spectacle. The chaos, blood, crying, shouts of anger, apathy, and Jesus, always Jesus, right in the middle of things. And this time surrounded not by his disciples, but by two thieves. And the one thief makes fun of him. And the other starts to make fun of him and then has a change of heart and finally blurts out, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus assures him that he will. The two thieves offer two very distinct possible beliefs about this Jesus, whose life and death have divided all time and has been a source of division in families, churches, nations ever since. See, if we eavesdrop, some people call this Jesus the Son of God. Others say that he's a demon. The sign over him says King of the Jews, but he doesn't look like any Jew, Jewish king that we have ever seen, especially with that crown of thorns on his head. See, when we think we've seen enough and turn to leave, it suddenly gets really dark. And that's when this Jesus cries out, it's finished. And that makes us wonder, so what's finished? And is whatever it is that's finished, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And just like that, Good, Good Friday becomes a murder mystery. Last week I noted the cross is our cross and the tomb is our tomb. And we crucified and buried ourselves in our own sin. And yet, and this is very, very, very important, the cross and tomb, they might be ours, but they're not about us. I know we want them to be about us because we normally want everything to be about us, but the cross and the tomb, well, they are and always have been about God and His love. When people think the cross and empty tomb is about them, that's when they skip Lent and Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday and go straight to the parade from the parade to chocolate Easter bunnies because that's the theology of glory. It's all about just good things for good people and they're good people. See, one of the challenges of standing beneath the cross and looking up at Jesus and asking who he is, is is that we hear that Jesus said that the reason he's here is because his father sent him to save the world. And, And saving the world requires, well, the whole beating and suffering and dying on the cross thing. And so it's easy to picture God the Father standing over the cross, arms crossed, this angry look on his face, judging us because of our sin. And then looking over at Jesus' body and his whole bloody dyingness, excruciating, and going, okay, I'll accept that as payment. But they better have learned their lesson. And then God kind of stomping off. And, you know, that leads us to ask, you know, what kind of God is it? A God who kills his own son, even if it means we get saved. But you see, God isn't standing over the cross. God is dying on the cross, and and that's what makes all the difference. That's the theology of the cross. 
See, can you see that? Remember the verse, God so loved the world? Well, the one after it says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If the powers that be want us to have both passion and poems on this Sunday, well, there it is. Because according to the Oxford Dictionary, passion means strong and barely controllable emotion. Oh, and the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross. And that brings us back to Palm Sunday, where that strong and barely controllable emotion is very, very visible. Matthew's gospel is the shortest of the Palm Sunday accounts, and yet there are a few things that really stand out. The people of Jerusalem keep asking, who is this? That They're drawn out of their shops. They're drawn out of you know, their homes. And it says they don't have a choice. In other words, whatever's going on is so powerful, so amazing that they come out. And then they see this pastor on a donkey and all these people shouting, save us and Hosanna and quoting the Bible. And that's when they say, so who is this? So where is the strong and barely controllable emotion? Well, for three years, Jesus had been running around giving away his holiness. And he gave it to people, by the way, who didn't deserve it, at least according to the Pharisees and Sadducees. Remember the whole beatitude thing? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who were persecuted for my name's sake. And Jesus kept widening the church circle, pulling in people who previously weren't welcome. And he made them a holy people of God. And this is where the passion comes in because all those newly holy people want to throw Jesus a parade. And so they're running around cutting branches off of trees and taking off their jackets and throwing them in the street and shouting and dancing and pointing to Jesus and say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which of course comes out of that psalm that we read. And in the other gospels, they go so far as to say, Save us. You see, these people are obviously very passionate about Jesus. Because nobody, ever, nobody else had ever really cared about them. And that made the Pharisees and Sadducees also very passionate about Jesus, except in their passion they wanted to kill him. And see, if you want to know why, well, it's pretty simple. The Pharisees said, the more you do, the more you have. That's the theology of glory. The more you do, the, the greater that God is going to reward you. Jesus said, the more you give, the more you sacrifice, the more you are. That's the theology of the cross. The Pharisees' religion went like this. Whenever something happens, you just look it up in the book and you do what the book says, such as an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And if something really bad happens, well, that just means that you really ticked God off and you deserve whatever it is. See, God's a rule maker, a scorekeeper. He's entirely impossible to please. Unless, of course, you happen to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee because they get a special pie. But Jesus told the people, love God and love your neighbors. And this is what really drove the Pharisees crazy because Jesus didn't mean loving God or a neighbor as a feeling. Instead, he said, love them even if you don't feel like it. And love, St. Paul said, doesn't keep a record of wrongs, nor is it selfish or boastful. It rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. It endures all things. And to the Pharisees, that just sucks the life out of them because what's the use of being right all the time if you can't rub it in everybody's faces? And so on that first Palm Sunday, there is a meeting of the passions. Those who were passionate about God loving them and those who were passionate about hating Jesus. The cross is the crossroads of eternity and time, the place where God's heart is broken and outflows forgiveness and love and mercy and grace and peace into a very sick and broken world. 
And that flow of forgiveness, love, mercy, and grace went forward to the end of time, and it went backward to the beginning of time. It is for this reason that out of all the possible words that they could have used to describe that Friday, they chose the word good because that's the word that God spoke after he looked out over everything he created. In fact, he said it was very good. And so maybe we should call this very good Friday because of what's happening here. And when Jesus said it is finished, since what was finished was the power of Satan to mess with God's creation, and that includes messing with us, it leads us to say, good God Almighty. A sacrificial act, by definition, is something that the one doing the sacrificing understands that there is no possible way for anyone to ever be able to pay them back. They don't do it. They, they can't do it for any reason other than love. That's the theology of the cross. All those people cutting branches off trees and throwing their jackets into the middle of the road had been touched by Jesus' ministry. For a lot of time, for a lot of them, it was the first time they felt like God had ever noticed them. And by the way, that wasn't God's fault. That was the church's fault. Those sinner saints made enough noise, the Pharisees demanded Jesus silence them. But there would be no silencing them, at least until Good Friday when they watched Jesus die. I love it when Jesus says, if they're quiet, the very stones will cry out because this is God's moment in time. The key words for us are the ones spoken by those large crowds who heard all the commotion, came out of their homes and businesses and looking around said, so who is this? That's the question that should be on our lips, our hearts and our souls this week. We're in the middle of a story that leads back to the beginning of time and forward to the end of time. <laughs> Author William Faulkner once wrote, if Jesus returned today, we would have to crucify him quick in our own defense to justify and preserve the civilization we have worked and suffered and died shrieking and cursing and rage and impotence and terror for 2,000 years to create and perfect in our own image. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were passionately setting out to do, and destroy God's work and create everything in their own image. We've got another option, thanks to all those people who were so passionate about Jesus' love that they threw him a parade, and of course the reason they're passionate is because they, well, they discovered perhaps for the very first time that God loved them, and they didn't want eternity to be without them. So we can cut off some palm branches. Ask your neighbors, by the way. And by the way, if you live on the mainland, I know there's a few places that don't have branches right now. That's, that's okay. You can cut off some branches of an oak tree or maybe a bush outside, and, or you know, like Miss Kayla said, just hold up your palms. Throw our jackets on the ground and parade around our offices, our homes, our yards, or even Home Depot saying, Save us, Jesus. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And if there we gather a crowd around us and they start saying, So who is this that you are praising? Say, I got an idea for you. Why don't you join me at church this week and we'll tell you all about it. This is a Sunday of passion and palms. The big question is, where is it going to lead us? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.